I missed last week. I didn't hit it twice. There we go. Okay. This is the cleansing. Cleansing. And uh, probably a good place to start would be Isaiah 5. We're actually going to be in Zechariah 13 tonight. But uh, God throughout all the Old Testament supports what He says in one place and with another place will support it. And then another one and another one. And we see that God has this pattern of continuing to show in different ways what His plan and purpose is and how it's going to be done. I think it's pretty interesting to look at Isaiah 5 and see that this is the parable of the vineyard. And so uh, he starts off with uh, verse 1, Let me sing now for my well-beloved. A song of my beloved concerning his vineyard. My well-beloved had a vineyard on a fertile hill. He dug it all around, removed its stones, and planted it with the choicest vine. He built a tower in the middle of it. He also hewed out a wine vat in it. Then he expected it to produce good grapes, but it produced only worthless ones. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? Why, when I expected it to produce good grapes, did it produce worthless ones? So now, let me tell you what I'm going to do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge, and it will be consumed. I'll break down its wall, and it will become trampled ground. I will lay it waste. It will not be pruned or hoed, but briars and thorns will come up. I will also charge the clouds to rain. No rain on it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah his delightful plant. Thus he looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed. For righteousness, but behold, a cry of distress. That's a good way to start out a Bible study. That's why we keep getting trimmed down. We tell bad news like this. <laughs> <laughs> Who wants to come in here? This, this is really sad. Why would I start off with this? After last week. <laughs> and chapter 13 starts off with the cleansing. And chapter 12, verse 10, was dealing with cleansing. And this is all part of it, but you read if you read this, and boom, you stop at verse 7, what do you think? He's done with them. And basically the same thing is told by Jesus in a parable in uh, Matthew 21. I won't read the whole thing because it's a lot like that, only a little bit different, a little bit different details. But that, that was pretty easy. God says, I made a vineyard. Uh, I, uh, you know, I planted this vineyard. I expected to respond. Instead, it didn't, it, it didn't bring forth fruit. It brought forth wild grapes. And I'll tear down its hedge and its wall and all the protection. It, uh, I will not prune it or, or dig around it. It won't be cared for. There will be briars and thorns. I will no longer rain on it. And uh, it was judgment upon Israel. He said, this is the house of Israel. And so that's unbelief and rebellion. So if you read that, you would say, there will come a time when he's done with them. So we move on. Uh, and it's basically the same thing in, in Matthew 21. Uh, 
you have the uh, parable of the landowner. And I'll just start off, and of course I think this is a, a lot of it's based out of the Isaiah. It's a little bit more to it, but uh, listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard, put a wall around it, dug a wine press in it, built a tower, and rented it out to vine growers, went on a journey. And so it's a lot like that. God takes care of you know, he builds the whole thing, takes care of it. Verse 20, 34, When the harvest time approached, he sent his slaves to the vineyard, uh, vine growers, to receive his produce. The vine growers took his slaves, beat one, killed another, stoned a third. That would be like servants. Actually, it's relating to the prophets, mm-hmm. uh, men of God that he had sent. Again, he sent another group of slaves, larger than the first. They did the same thing to them, but afterward, he sent his son to them, saying, They will respect my son. But when the vine growers saw the son, they said among themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and seize his inheritance. They took him, threw him out of the vineyard, and killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those vine growers? They said to him, He will bring those wretches to a wretched end and will rent out the vineyard to other vine growers who will pay him the proceeds at the proper seasons. Jesus said to them, Did you never read in the scriptures the stone which the builders rejected? This became the chief cornerstone. This came about from the Lord and it is marvelous in our eyes. So I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you given to a people producing the fruit of it. And he who falls on the stone will be broken to pieces, but on whomever it falls it will scatter him like dust. So you have the chief priests, the Pharisees, they hear the parables, they understood that he was speaking about them. When they sought to seize him, they feared him. Uh, They feared the people because they considered him to be a prophet. So that one is easy to interpret, isn't it? Obviously, we know that the Son is Christ. He gives it over to another people. That would be, he goes to the rest of the world, right? Uh, God sent vineyard servants to gain the fruit of the vineyard. The farmers killed the servants. Ultimately, they killed the Son. God takes away the kingdom from them. Uh, gives it up to other people who bring forth fruit. That would be, you know, of course, we know as the church. Um, now, Let's go to Daniel chapter 9 and about 20, verse 24. God is giving Daniel a understanding of this vision. And of course, he has given a lot of prophecy of the nations that are to come. And we've gone over that many times. And here's the 70 weeks, and of course we've gone over that many times. We don't have to do our math tonight. 70 weeks have been decreed for your people and your holy city. Now catch this. The next few things that we see is going to be agreeing along with our Zechariah passage. To finish the transgression. To make an end of sin. To make atonement for iniquity to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. So, you are to know and discern that from the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem 
until Messiah, the prince, there will be seven weeks, and sixty-two weeks it will be built again with plaza and moat, even in times of distress. Then after the sixty-two weeks, the Messiah, that's, of course, that's Christ, he came on the scene, he's cut off, he's killed. He'll have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come, the people of the prince who is to come at a later time, will destroy the city and the sanctuary, and its end will come with a flood, <clears throat> even to the end. There will be war, desolations are determined, and he will make a firm covenant with the many for one week. But in the middle of the week, he will put a stop to sacrifice, grain offering, and on the wing of abominations will come one who makes desolate even until a complete destruction, one that is decreed, is poured out on the one who makes desolate. Of course, that's covering a lot of years. But it was from the time that they would have the decree to start building Jerusalem, which Zechariah has been addressing all the way through. And Daniel says here, the 70 weeks, and then it finally comes to last week, but he came up to the time of Messiah, covering a whole span. And what he's saying, though, as he starts off with it in 24, it's to finish transgression. That means there will come a time when sin is done away with, to make an end of sin, to make atonement for iniquity, everlasting righteousness, and, and, and all of those things. Daniel gives us like bad news, but he gives us good news. There will come a time when this happens. And he's saying for your people as he speaks to Daniel. Where was Daniel at at the time? Well, he had been captured by who? The Babylonians. So, and of course that's where Daniel then tells about the other nations that are going to come and rule all the way through the Roman Empire and then the revival of the Roman Empire. Now we go to... Uh, uh, Romans 11, and of course I was there last week just to start off with, but uh, this time we'll uh, go to verse 24. Zechariah has been giving good, good news all the way through, even though he gives bad news. It shows a hope for the people at that time, and then especially at the very end. Here's where the New Testament would be agreeing with that, as Paul writes in Romans 11, verse uh, what did I say, 24. Um, well, actually, uh, let's start even a little earlier. Start at verse 17. But if some, well. Back up a little further. It started the whole section, but back at 11. I say then that they did not stumble so as to fall, did they? May it never be. Now, this is speaking about the nation of Israel. You know, they didn't, you know, when we're talking when it says fall, that's it. You know, they're, they're cast off. May it never be, but by their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make them jealous. Who's them? Israel. So Israel, the Gentiles, right? So it's to make Israel jealous. Now if their transgression is riches for the world and their failure is riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their fulfillment be? Now Paul is really answering a question 
what happens to Israel then? If God has done all this and justifies people, but He says, okay, there's a fulfillment for them. But I'm speaking to you who are Gentiles, inasmuch then as I am an apostle of Gentiles, I magnify my ministry. If somehow I might move to jealousy my fellow countrymen, who's that? That's the Jews, and save some of them. For if their rejection is the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? If the first piece of dough is holy, the lump is also. And if the root is holy, the branches are too. But if some of the branches were broken off, and you, being a wild olive, and, and you would be the, who, Gentiles. the Gentiles, were grafted in among them and became partaker with them of the rich root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant, Gentiles, toward the branches. But if you're arrogant, remember that it's not you who supports the root, but the root, which is Israel, supports you. That's where he first started. You will say then, well, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. Quite right. They were broken off for their unbelief. But you stand by your faith. Do not be conceited, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, He will not spare you either. So if He doesn't do anything with the natural branches, then we as the church have a lot to fear because He could cut us off and be done with us. Which We're talking losing salvation here. We have no right. There's no, there is no promise to all the promises were to them too. So, yeah, yeah. So if he's so severe with them, who are we, right? Right. Yeah. And so he says, "Behold, then, the kindness and the severity of God to those who fell, severity, but to you, God's kindness. If you continue in His kindness, otherwise you also will be cut off. If they're really true Christians, and and he's talking about not being, you know, arrogant as as." You know, a natural Gentile would be against a Jew, and of course the Jews against the Gentiles too. But. And they also, that's the Jews, if they do not continue and their unbelief will be grafted in. For God is able to graft them in again, to bring them back in. Well, actually, He did it in the early church. The church started with who? What? The Jews, right? But it went to the rest of the world's Jews have been saved throughout there. There have been a remnant, very small, but a remnant. And then he says, For if you were cut off from what is by nature a wild olive tree and were grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these who are the natural branches be grafted into their own olive tree? They should readapt it quicker because they're already of that. Or right, you should be it. able yeah. to get in there. Yeah, yeah. yeah they and should, he's using nature here. Yeah, they should have less trouble coming back in. He's already been a part of it at one time. So, and he gives the explanation here. For I do not want you, brethren, to be uninformed of this mystery, so that you will not be wise in your own estimation, that a partial hardening has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Remember the Daniel section where it talks about uh, at the very end there will be desolation. It speaks about one coming into a temple presenting himself as God, actually, the abomination of desolation. Jesus spoke about that. Daniel spoke about it. And here we have here, uh, there was a partial hardening to them. This time of the Gentiles. There's going to be a fullness of that 
that Gentile age as we know it will, you know, then be fulfilled. And then he says, so all Israel will be saved. Just as it's written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will remove ungodliness from Jacob. This is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Okay, we went around a long way on that, but go back to Zechariah and and we'll uh, read that chapter 13, verse 1. After we saw in verse 10 of Zechariah, you know, they'll look upon him who may pierce, mourn for him, and talked about repentance and such. And then we go right into 13.1. In that day, a fountain will be opened for the house of David and for the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and for impurity. This is where he takes away their sin. And it's the house of David, that's royalty. The inhabitants of Jerusalem would be the laity people. It's talking about all. You know, not just some, but we're talking about the people there that uh, would be left. And so God's going to replant that vineyard and He's going to restore that vineyard. That answers our chapter 5 of Isaiah. By the way, if we go through the rest of Isaiah and see the context, we'll see that He's talking about good news too. And it all revolves in Isaiah 53, you think, the, the great chapter there of the Messiah. And so... Uh, there's a Zechariah, the, the fountain of cleansing. Go to, go to Jeremiah 31, 34. So explains history from the time that it seemed God cut them off in 70 A.D. Two thousand years later, we're still waiting. Where are you, Jeremiah? Jeremiah 31, and in verse 34, and he's talking about. Uh, covenant here. Oh, pick it up in, in, in uh, 33. But this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and on their heart I will write it. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. They will not teach again each man his neighbor. We'll stop right there. What, what do we have there? We have a covenant that finally is fulfilled for them because they couldn't fulfill the covenant before. Who can? Only Christ. And there is the promise to a, a group of people who are left at that time. And he gives a guarantee, and that's where he, in verse 35, the sun for light by day, the moon and the stars and light by night, um, fixed order and all that. If that all disappears, then... Yeah, I, I can break my promise, right? So It's too late. <laughs> yeah, what a promise. All through the Old Testament. You see that. Now that's a key one. Um, let's go to Acts 3.19. Uh, there... Um, you have in Jerusalem, you have Peter and John, they're preaching. Uh, and of course, most of the people here at this time, there are Gentiles in here, but as a whole, it's still to Israel and in Jerusalem. Uh, what verse did I say? 19, 19 right? Therefore, repent and return, so that your sins may be wiped 
away, in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, that he may send Jesus the Christ appointed for you, uh, whom heaven must receive until the period of restoration of all things. That means he's going to be, his abode right now is in heaven, right? Until the period of restoration, the restoring of all things, about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from ancient times. So it goes on, the quotes from Moses there. But it's it's about the Messiah. And of course, he's the one that's going to take away their sin. That That is the, the gospel message that was brought out there. And it's through Christ. Their sins will be wiped away. What did uh, um, Isaiah 31 talk about? Their sin would be taken away. And Zechariah, uh, again, we have their sin, transgression, moved away, out from them. Uh, the cleansing, the, the mourning, the, the repentance. And so all that goes to say is that God is a God of forgiveness. Forgiveness is promised in this 13th chapter of Zechariah. And cleansing is promised. Of course, it's pro- we've already been cleansed. We were cleansed at the cross. There's the fountain. Um, in chapter 12, we saw not only the good news there, but we saw a tremendous holocaust. Uh, Armageddon, and there's a remnant that was that was mentioned there that left at the end of the slaughter, and the remnant is going to see Jesus. They're going to recognize who He is. They're going to mourn. They're going to weep. They're going to repent. And because cleansing always follows true repentance, true sorrow for sin, and so that's what happens in chapter 13. Uh, let's pray for a moment. Father, we thank you for your your word, your truth. Thank you for your promise because that means it for all people. And if you mean it and you've done it and you've done it over and over and over again, that applies to our lives too. Thank you for our salvation. Thank you for being with us as we live on this earth. And we know that all that you've said applies and comes true. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, 13.1. In that day, what day are we talking about? Right in the final days, really. Day of the Lord and such. But whenever he comes back, a fountain will be opened for the house of David, inhabitants of Jerusalem, for sin, for impurity. Um, <clears throat> fountain. Uh, it means a well, a wellspring. Uh, it means a gushing. A gushing out. A gushing fountain. That's, that's the idea. So we turn to Ezekiel 36. That Jeremiah 31 and Ezekiel 36 are just fantastic. It's gospel good news. Uh, Ezekiel 36. Verse 25. Then, and it's talking about the same thing here again. Uh, 24 says, I will take you from the nations, gather you from all the lands, bring you into your own land. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you. You will be clean. Has that happened to us? Yeah. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you 
and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. You will live in the land that I gave to your forefathers, so you will be my people, and I will be your God. Moreover, I will save you from all your uncleanness, and that's what we're talking about in Zechariah, and I will call for the grain and multiply it. I will not bring a famine on you. We're talking about literal food. And, uh, no famines, blessings on them. I will multiply the fruit of the tree and the produce of the field so that you will not receive again the disgrace of famine among the nations. Then you will remember your evil ways and your deeds that were not good and you will loathe yourselves and your own sight for your iniquities and your abominations. I'm not doing this for your sake, declares the Lord God. Let it be known to you. Be ashamed and confounded for your ways, O house of Israel. Thus says the Lord God, on the day that I cleanse you from all your iniquities, I will cause the cities to be inhabited and the waste places will be rebuilt. The desolate land will be cultivated instead of being a desolation in the sight of everyone who passes by. Land, trees, fruit. It's been here, we consider a blessing here, but people think heaven is not going to have those kind of things. It's not going to have trees and fruit and stuff. Yes, it is. This, But without... Can you imagine things without well, sin? Weeds. Yeah, <laughs> right. Rotten right. right. Keep eating it and it just gets good and stays in no calories. <laughs> well, the right. well, you're right. Look in verse 35. They will say, "This desolate land has become like the Garden of Eden." Right. You know, they didn't. They worked that Garden of Eden, and they had no sweat of the brow. I mean, it was a it was a work that you enjoy. Like Penny, you still like to to you want to work because you enjoy doing that, right? And so when you take fulfillment in, and so when there's no sin, you can't get tired. It's just something that you just love to do. And it doesn't get old. It's always refreshing. Or we, or we don't get old. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> never, I don't never mind working hard. It's just like, yeah, that can't, it hurts. Your body just doesn't hurt. You do it anymore. It hurts. I try to go out and pull weeds and my back hurts. And knees hurt. And then you got to figure out how to cramps up. Then you got to figure out how to get in the door or turn open the door. Right now, and you're not even seventy yet. <laughs> <laughs> Most people in the sixties are done. Yeah, they're going, oh yeah. <laughs> Looking around, hope nobody sees you. Try to figure out how to get yourself up out of that big thing. <laughs> you know, I was going to stop there in Ezekiel, but it looks so good. I want to keep on going. It's become like the Garden of Eden, and the waste, desolate, and ruined cities are fortified and inhabited. Mm -hmm. Then the nations that are left round about you will know that I, the Lord, have rebuilt the ruined places and planted that which was desolate. I, the Lord, have spoken and will do it. Mm -hmm. Thus says the Lord God, This also I will let the house of Israel ask me to do for them. I will increase their men like a flock, like the flock for sacrifices, like the flock at Jerusalem. During their appointed feast, so will the waste cities be filled with flocks of men. Then they will know that I am the Lord. In these texts, we have seen where it says, My people, so you will be my people, and I will be your God. Turn back to our Zechariah 13. Right at the end of it. 
well, about the last half of nine, they will call on my name. And I will answer them. And I will say, they are my people. And they will say, the Lord is my God. This is after, you know, at the time they call on the Lord, you have salvation. I think that's just tremendous. That is good news, isn't it? So, there's not that desolate end of them. And you could go on and on with this. But I think we have given enough proof of verses here that what Zechariah has been saying all along, everybody else is saying the same thing. So, oh, you remember Zechariah 3? You have the priest with dirty clothes, and he's cleansed. And, of course, that's representing all the people. It's representing what right here. So, we get, in that day a fountain will be opened. Uh, the idea here is it's a perennial kind of opening. It, it stay, it's easy to understand the idea of a fountain being open, right? I mean, there it goes. But in the tense that it's written, it's open for the whole world. It's open per- permanently perennially, continually. That's a great news. And to Christians, that's already been open. Uh, and we go for a continual cleansing. I think in 1 John 1, 9, He is faithful to cleanse those that, uh, you know, are... What's a mark of a believer? They repent. And so He cleanses them. Everybody knows 1 John 1, 9, right? Confessing their sin. But... It won't. It'll be opened, but it won't be open to Israel as a nation until they come to repentance. That's when the fountain is open. And of course, we just saw the repentance at the end of chapter twelve, didn't we? And then, boom! There comes that fountain, and we can see it almost visually in a, in a sense. The fountain was opened at Calvary, and it's been flowing perennially for us. And there it awaits. Israel, uh, there will be that cleansing. It will be open for them as they have repented. The fountain opens. Um, oh, there's a, there's a verse. Psalm 36. Psalm 36, verse 9. Speaking of fountain. You open the Old Testament, you just see the Messiah. Forgiveness of sins just explode off the page more and more. Uh, what did I say? 36 uh, 9, right? Psalm. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light we see light. The fountain of life. That is, it's flowing from, from Christ, isn't it? That's Him. It reminds me of that song, that hymn. There is a fountain filled with blood flowing from Emmanuel's veins. I think he kind of got that idea from maybe one of these verses. Um, go back to Zechariah. Of course, uh, it, two things there. Sin, impurity. They're very much related. Sin here is, you know, it's the missing the mark. It's, it's going the wrong way. Uh, that thought. Impurity is defilement. It's it's something to be shunned uh, when you see it. This word mentioned in the in like Leviticus, for instance, the ceremonial impurity 
uh, is to you know it was if it was impure it was, people were defiled like a dead body if you touched a dead body you you would be impure or defiled so you're to shun that kind of thought so that's a great key verse there in chapter 13 verse 1 by using a lot of verses I really spent most of my time just on that that's verse 1 what about the rest well the rest of it really flows pretty quick and I'll tell you what it is like that one that first one there is how do I outline it there the fountain that cleanses sin and impurity right Mm -hmm. praise God and of course, for all who believe in Christ, that's happened to us too. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't rule that out. You know, it's definitely something that is going on now too. Two through six, uh, it'll come about in that day, declares the Lord of Hosts, that I will cut off the names of the idols from the land, and they will no longer be remembered. And I will remove the prophets and the unclean spirit from the land. What's going on there? Well, there's been two besetting sins of Israel all throughout the Old Testament. The reason they're punished. Two besetting ones is idolatry and false prophets. And so he says, I'll cut off the names of the idols and they won't be remembered. I'll also remove the prophets, the the false prophets that they they had. Uh, Idolatry existed in a big way and they did what all the other pagan nations had done, brought it in, even mixed it in with the true worship of God and of course, that was not a true worship as they mixed that. But and I know this sounds like a very basic question. When you say idolatry, you actually mean little carved images? And I'm glad you brought that up. For one thing, going in their past, that's what they did do. They had the images. They had real things that they made. And of course, Jeremiah makes fun of them as they made it out of the wood. And what does that wood, does that wood come back talk to you, you know? And of course... That is one sense because that was the idolatry that they had in. I I mean, it was full-blown idolatry. So, uh, and and this is reminding them, but at the time of Babylon, after that, you don't see them making wood-carved images and the idolatry that they were worshipping on all the hills and mountains and high places and such. You don't see that again after that time of Babylon. So what's going on here with with this? Because we said, well, we thought they were done with idolatry. Well, the idolatry would be that uh, I think at the end time, they will be following false prophets. And what false prophets do is they get them, of course, uh, you know, they will get them to follow the things of evil spirits and the false prophets, even though they may not be having the wood carved idols, their image, of course, there's the image of the beast. They're worshiping the wrong. It's, a, it's, a, it's an idol of power is what it is. So that's what everybody's after now. And that's a, what Babylon was all about. They were, continue, they were seeking out their own powers you know, like going out and up and above their own human power. And making those out to be God. Yeah, I mean, so you follow. That's your prophets you're following. We have it going on today. Everybody's following a certain mindset of thinking because it's self it's to And so that was their your own kind system. of idolatry no, without the yeah. the images, without the little idols right. you know, that are carved and such. So, but that's what they did, and of course, any time, any time that you have any kind of worship that's outside of God is what? It's idolatry. 
if, if it's about self, if you're living for selfish things, that's idolatry, you know. But and so they, uh, because of their own idolatry, that can co- um, come all the way into the the end time there. But you don't think of them as having those, and they wouldn't dare do that. Now, I mean, that's a big part of the punishment, and uh, at least as far as I know. Now, there might have been little cases here and there that people might have gotten into, but as a whole, they they didn't. So he's going to, but that was one of their biggest problems was idolatry, and God is saying that will that will be taken care of. It's going to be snuffed out, as well as as the prophets. I'm going to remove them. So yeah, that that's a key question there. Uh, verse three, and if anyone still prophesies, then his father and mother who gave birth to him will say to him, "You shall not live, for you have spoken falsely in the name of the Lord." His father and mother who gave birth to him will pierce him through when he prophesies. So at this very time, there's going to be you know some of them you know as they're becoming believers, and you think of the hundred forty-four thousand, and they're screaming the the gospel and. People becoming, you know, saved at that time. There's still going to be people that are going to be the false prophets. And Jesus said, you know, there will be many false teachers that come in my name. And of course, there have been, and it will continue. Uh, who is the false prophet of them all? It's the Antichrist, right? And who else? Who's number two? Right along his side is his sidekick, and he's the false. What'd you say? The Pope. <laughs> well, there you go. Well, that could be. That it could be that yeah. false prophet. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. A lot of things going on right now. It's really interesting with what the Pope has stated. Yeah. So you have uh, this. Uh, the parents, they're actually going to kill one that does that. That's how serious. And if you go back to the Old Testament, and uh, I, I don't know where I put it. Uh, I forgot where yeah, I... Deuteronomy. It's Deuteronomy. Yeah. Deuteronomy 13. 13. 6 through 10. And they're apostates. They're false prophets. And they would even kill them. That's, you know, I mean, in that sense, that's how terrible it is to have false prophets. They lead the people into that. So that's how why he's bringing this out. How future tense this is... Uh, all I know, that's a serious thing. Also, it come about in verse 4 in that day that the prophets will each be ashamed of his vision when he prophesies. They will not put on a hairy robe in order to deceive. You think of the hairy robes, what do you think of? You think of what? John the Baptist. John the Baptist. And then uh, what? Uh, Elijah. And of course, that's what they did. You know, it's uh, a matter of humility. And uh, of course, they were, you know, they can identify these, okay, these guys are prophets. But when people start finding out that they are prophets and they're false prophets, then they start hiding out. They, you know, uh, it says in verse 5, but he will say, I'm not a prophet, I'm a tiller of the ground. I'm a farmer, I'm not a prophet. Uh, For a man sold me of a slave in my youth. So there they are. Oh no, because they're going to be done away with. God will get rid of them. Uh, verse 6, one will say to him, what are these wounds between your arms? Then he'll say, those with which I was wounded in the house of my friends. What's going on there? Um, I think what you have here is the the, the lovers there, uh, the the friends and, and, and such, um, they're, they're the idols that he loved. These are the wounds of my idolatry. 
uh, he has to admit it. I was wounded in the house of my friends or my lovers. I was wounded in idolatry. Um, so what are those? What are those wounds? The, the cuts. You know, they, they might have cuts on their hands, cuts on their arms. Do you remember Elijah uh, versus the, what, 400 false prophets? Mm-hmm. And what were they doing? Cutting themselves. False prophets, Baal, and such. Spirits of uncleanness, they're agents of demons. And behind every false prophet is an unclean spirit. Well, there's a false prophet, believe me, they're being guided by, uh, you know, demons. Yeah. Uh, so we get to verse 7. He says, Awake, O sword, against my shepherd. And against the man, my associate, declares the Lord of hosts. Strike the shepherd that the sheep may be scattered. I will turn my hand against the little ones. Now, what you have here uh, is going in back to the time of when Messiah came. Still in future tense. But we might back up the timing because he's talking about in the day a fountain will be open. And he goes into the, the deal about the idols and the false prophets. That will never be there again. And then he says, then he brings on who the true prophet is or the, the, the shepherd, the true shepherd. And he says, awake, O sword, against my shepherd. They can't be cleansed from the deception of the sham false prophets until they're cleansed through the death of the shepherd the true shepherd. And of course you have God, Jehovah, Yahweh, the speaker here, and Christ is the one spoken of. And he says, Awake, O sword. Who called for the death of Christ? Ultimately, God did, didn't he? Awake, O sword. Awake up. Uh, Isaiah 53.10, we we see that. Uh, He says, Against the man... It's talking about a mighty man, a strong man there. Then the man, my associate. Uh, this is equal status. This is a deity passage here. It's something of perfect union, equality. He's my associate. We're, we're working together. So the, the Messiah, the shepherd here, is it's obvious, isn't it? Just jumps out right here, in, right in the middle of all this. And he is the true prophet. And he says, strike the shepherd that the sheep may be scattered. What would that be? Whenever he was crucified, first of all, where the apostles? Where'd they go? Where were they at? This is a prophecy in Zechariah. So he's, he's saying because of him, he is the one who is the fountain. That one day, as a whole, they will be cleansed. In the meantime... He has these um, ones that would be uh, the remnant. And so that the sheep are dispersed. Matthew 26, 31. We know this one. It's a quote right out of where we were at. Uh, Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike down the shepherd and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered. Where did that come from? Right here. Right there. Zechariah. Right out of Zechariah 13.7. Have you noticed how many of these quotes or that deal with the Messiah all the way through Zechariah you find in the Gospels? 
one chapter after another. You find the Messiah in there all the time. It's that uh, scarlet thread, isn't it? So he says, I will turn my hand against the little ones. That's interesting. I think ultimately, and going in the context of what's following there, it's it's uh, speaking probably of the remnant. I'll turn my hand against... Uh, the shepherd's going to die. When the shepherd dies for the sins of people, they will be scattered. There will be rejection. Even the little ones, and of course, the little ones would be the ones who don't stand out as the religious elite. Uh, first of all, would be well the apostles going along with being scattered out. And he had promised them that they would go through yeah, trials, persecution, right? Suffering that uh, would be tremendous. And the rest of the church also suffered. Many of them were, were killed right at the very outset when the church was born. But he, he did that so that the church would also be pure. And he's going to continue here. And this goes throughout throughout the church time. Verse 8, it'll come about in all the land, declares the Lord that two parts in it will be cut off and perish. Two-thirds uh, elsewhere, you see, uh, like a tenth. Uh, whatever it is, there's going to be a lot of people that are going to, to just die. But I will bring the third part through the fire. Refine them as silver is refined. Test them as gold is tested. They will call on my name. I will answer them. I will say they are my people, and they will say the Lord is my God. So you have the dispersion of the sheep, then there's a cleansing, even in the, this devastation, this slaughter that happens. And you get into Zechariah 14, and, and you see again that yeah, there's a lot of people in Israel who are going to die. But there's a remnant. They're the ones that he's going to also save until he comes. Christ comes back and they look upon him. The little ones are who? That would be believers. Early days of the church, the apostles, starting with martyrs, them, like martyrs throughout the very early church. Like in the book of Acts, mm -hmm. you see persecution. Uh, of course, Paul being one of those persecutors. And, but anyway, uh, you know, we kind of saw the Armageddon battle in chapter 12 and such a slaughter that's going on. And it's like two out of every three in Israel being, it's, that's a terrible time. But so the majority of those people in the Armageddon battle won't make it. But there's a portion that God saved back, and they will remain. And there we go. They are cleansed when they call upon the Lord. They are cleansed when they look upon Christ. When we looked at Christ, we looked at Him on the cross, and we were cleansed. And so you know what it tells me? God is a God of forgiveness. God will forgive His people. And even though they were part of the people that killed his son, we were too. God will forgive because that is who he is. That's his character, his nature. Who is a pardoning God like that? And so they, even with all their idolatry and their false prophets, and he's still going to deliver people out of that.
Why would he save anybody? That's a great God, isn't it? So we did we did that thirteen chapters, only nine verses. <laughs> but that verse one really is the key to it all, isn't it? And then verse seven. Well, we've got one more chapter left in Zechariah. Thank you guys for coming out tonight. Get into God's Word. Appreciate it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time that we've had in Your Word. and uh, We just want to sit at Your feet and be able to take in what uh, precious truths that You have, whether it be in the past, whether it be right now, or whether it be in the future. We know that You are a great God. And we have nothing to fear. We have Christ at our side. Always. Thank you, Lord, for that. In Jesus' name, amen.